Hi, I'm Noel McDummer. Welcome to Wellbeing Wednesdays on Men's Radio Station. I'm initiating a new pad one. His name is Luke. Hello, Luke. Welcome. Hello. Luke My, is in the house. How's it going? It's good. It's good. So I was giving him the fry of his life by not talking immediately. I know. It's a good, um, bit scary, especially yeah. when it's my first go. It's, it's, it's always makes some go, these. Um, How did you manage that anxiety, Luke? It was difficult. Oh, 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 oh <laughs> she's in there. She's keen. She's keen. Rena's in there. Anxiety expert is in the house. Hello, Rena. Hi, how are you? Welcome. Does this sound a bit tinny and equity? Have you done the same thing again you did before? I don't know. I think it's okay now. Um, let's, I think that sounds better, yep. doesn't it? I think it was just too loud. Was I just too loud? Too excited. Yeah, not, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. We, we, Luke's <laughs> new. He's our new pad one. Yeah. So yeah. Sort of, so, excuse me. So No, no, I'm just enjoying pointing out <laughs> that he's new and he's anxious. This is how you deal with it. One of the ways you deal with anxiety I know. is you face up to it just yep, like that. No yeah. avoidance there. Straight yeah, in yeah, there. Yeah, straight in there. It's called exposure. <laughs> exposure therapy, which is not what you think, Luke. It's like driving. It, it, when I um, don't go and drive. expose yourself, Luke. You know, <laughs> that's not what we're suggesting here. All right, mate. All right, okay. all right. It's, it means facing up to your fears. And I've done that. You've done, have you? Yeah. yeah. Here well, I am today. Yeah. How do you feel? It's yeah, nerve wracking. Yeah. It feels like you know, I feel on edge. But um, it's actually very different because I, I'm an, I used to be an actor or still sort oh, of. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's different from being nervous going on stage in a weird way. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's good. It's good. I know sort of how to deal with it because of because of my experience yeah. on stage. But, yeah. Well, we'll keep checking in with you and checking your scaling and see if it yeah. comes down throughout the session. <laughs> James is just, Jingle James is just behind him. He's in the house. Is he going to talk? Jingle James is not here today. Oh. <laughs> I'm just lurking in the shadows. Just lurking in the shadows, like he does, like he does. But you just check his pulse every now and then, James. Yeah. Make sure it's not getting too high. Just, yeah, I'm here, for, I'm here to support Luke emotionally. Yeah, I feel know. like I shouldn't have had a coffee before I came in. <laughs> <laughs> That's never a good idea. We were just talking about coffee before the show. Anyway, I should do the furniture bit um, first. Let me do all that sort of stuff. I should tell you why we're here. I'm Noel McDermott, psychotherapist. Um, this is uh, Wellbeing Wednesdays on... Uh, men's radio station. We have a fantastic guest in the house with us. Nice, Rena Barjaj. Yep, Doctor Rena. Right. Well done, yeah, oh, Doctor Rena. Right. Barjaj, I got it right. Way. <laughs> well done. Five <laughs> letters, you got it right. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult. Four-letter words in my usual. So there you go. Get to five, and I get confused. Um, so here we are, men's radio station. Welcome, join us. You can join in in a couple of ways on men's radio station. It'd be lovely to have you join in with us. Uh, I'm just trying to find the um, phone number while Luke finds the jingle. Yeah, I'm ready. Um, so it's a radio station and you can join in live. You can call this number now that's coming up on the jingle. Go! 0203290441. Let's do it again, because I love it. One more time. 0203290441. Oh, that's my favourite bit. Once more? Once more? I could play that on a loop. I could play that on a loop. That should be your alarm waking it was, up. It would be oh, more yeah. interesting than me, wouldn't it? Quite frankly. <laughs> Having that jingle rather than me would actually be much more pleasant in people's lives. But anyway, you can call that number. Uh, and it is, what is it, Luke? Oh, oh. Under pre- I'm under pressure now. The great thing about that number is, even though it's uh, a London number, uh, uh, it isn't. It's a Skype number, so you can call it from ah. anywhere in the world. Call in. Let us know what you want to us yeah. to answer. Yeah. So call in. We'll and uh, the phone will be picked up by Luke, uh, who'll be very excited very to excited. hear from you. <laughs> very excited to hear from you. And for one night only, we're not going to scream. So whoever gets on, whoever gets on that phone for tonight, you're guaranteed to get on the show. 
All right, ah, that's a ooh. guarantee, guarantee of getting on okay. the show. So there you go. Yeah. Whatever it's about, even if it's about the horrible B word, we'll deal with it. Maybe we'll deal with B anxieties tonight. <laughs> yeah, potentially. Go, Johnson's anxieties have been hauled up and taken down the nick. To be honest, that might happen. We never yeah. know. We'll see. Anyway, um, so one night only, special offer. We'll get you on no matter what. Uh, so do give us a call. And um, the other way you can join in is uh, you can join in on Facebook Live on Men's Radio Station. And uh, oh, there is somebody in the house who's not in the house who actually knows the link by heart. But I do it this way. Just go to Facebook and in their search box put Men's Radio Station. I'll take mm-hmm. you to the Men's Radio Station page and you can see the video live. And um, you can do a watch party. I've just done a watch party on mine, um, which means it's now playing on my personal um, profile. Oh, So anybody who knows me, I can really annoy them. You can (laughs) join in. It's like anybody who's on a personal profile knows me enough. There's no way they're listening or watching on a radio station as well. Um, But you can join us on Facebook Live. And uh, we'd be really lovely to get your um, comments and questions and thoughts. um, Which you can just post on Facebook Live and uh, we'll scroll through them. It'd be lovely to hear from Mm -hmm. you. Um, And uh, what we can do is we can um, sort of uh, pick up your questions as you go along. Um, We usually, um, in the third section, of the show, mm-hmm. the beginning third section, so we save questions for them. But if you phone in, we'll just get you in anyway. That's a guarantee for this evening. Um, and I'm just wondering if Jennifer is listening in California. Jennifer, are you out there in California listening to us? Um, Jennifer works for me, so she has to. Okay, hi um, Jennifer. Nice. If to, you're listening, if you're listening, if you're listening. Um, so um, I'm sure she is, and she'll send us in um, some sort of comments on usually on what she's eating because it's sort of <laughs> breakfast time. Oh, right, okay. Um, so um, welcome to everybody and um, this evening we've got Rena Bajot who's um, a doctor, uh, yeah. not a medical doctor, a psychologist. Yep, counselling psychologist by background. Counselling psychologist yep. by background. So um, psychotherapist by another name? Is, uh, kind of, of, sort of. What's um, the difference? What's the same? I suppose uh, counselling psychologist, we're research practitioners so we have to do a doctorate and a part of that is based on our research um, and then we're trained in a range of approaches. Um, so we can really work with clients to think about what their needs are and what the best type of therapy is for them. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's us in a nutshell. Great. Yeah. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, really good to have you on. And you're uh, a specialist in anxiety and other disorders. Tell me, tell me yeah. what you do. What's your sort of um, so I work across uh, across the lifespan. Um, I tend to typically work with teenagers onwards. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in terms of the types of clients I see, I'm quite open. Uh, but I do work with a lot of people who potentially experience anxiety, low mood, trauma, yeah. Um talk a lot about relationships okay. uh, relationships with ourselves and our relationships with other people because mm. uh, that can obviously impact on the way that we see our life um, and how we feel about ourselves so it's yes. a real mixture yeah yeah quite, yeah. A, quite a range of things how long have you been practicing for now? Um, I've been practicing for 10 years now wow yeah that's amazing yeah, yeah um, it's yeah. been really a really interesting journey yeah, and you're based in London? I am. So I have a base in West London in Uxbridge. Yeah. Um, and then I have two bases in central London, so Baker Street and Marleybone. Wow. Uh, so I rotate around London. You're quite a busy person. I know yeah. you were away doing some training recently. Well, I was, you? yeah. So um, a part of my day job is to work for the Anna Freud Centre. Yeah. Um, and I'm the head of training there. So we work a lot with schools and education. Um, and, you know, we work with schools to think about how they can support young people across the lifespan. Um, so, yeah. It's a variety of, of training, really, based on, on that. That was a bit unfair. I was gesturing at how awesome that is. Yeah. 
that 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 little CV. I was gesturing, so people on Facebook live saw it, but obviously on the radio you didn't see it. Yeah, I was like, but what was are a, you doing? It's a thumbs up. <laughs> it's a thumbs up for that. Um, the Anna Freud Centre, of course, is internationally renowned. Yeah, no, they really are great. I know I'm That's biased, the point, but, James. It's, but they, no, are, they are actually internationally renowned. So being somebody who does the training for the Anna Freud Centre, you know, yeah, uh, just like. Do you know, it's, it's pretty huge. Yeah, so. no, they're really great. They're really innovative. So one of my passions is really about early intervention. Um, so I've worked in a range of settings and the thing that keeps coming up is early intervention. So I'm, I'm really convinced that if we can intervene early, whether it's in childhood or later on, we can really make a difference to people's lives. Yeah. So early intervention can be early in the acute stage or yeah. uh, rather than the chronic stage. Yeah. So the earlier you deal with the issue, the better. Yeah, yeah. I Yeah, I would think so. Those. I mean, I think it's pretty much a fact, isn't it? Yeah. The, the sooner we can get something and get them help, yeah. um, the better the outcomes because you have uh, less severe problems and also less chance of a relapse in those problems. Yeah, and you find ways to cope with your current situation. Yeah. And that's really empowering. So there's no one way to, to deal with concerns, whether it's anxiety or low mood or something mm. else. Um, but by intervening early, you can really help people mm. to figure out what works for them and to help them understand what's going on for them personally yeah. um, so they can create their own strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm always interested when I invite somebody on the show about uh, a number of aspects of not just the work that you're currently doing, but um, sort of thinking about you as a person as well Mm. and sort of where you come from, what sort of influences that. Yeah. So uh, where do you? I mean, tell me about... Where do I come from? Dr. Rina, when Dr. Rina was not a doctor and was (laughs) knee-high to a grasshopper. (laughs) So where were you you born and brought up? Yeah, so I was born in the UK. Hmm. Um, My parents are East African Asians. Okay. Um, or East African Indians. So I was born in the UK, but when I was growing up, when I was about 12 years old... So what um, countries in Africa were that? Uh, so people? Kenya and Tanzania, okay. so East yeah. Africa. Yeah. Um, and then when I was about 12 years old, I moved to Kenya for a couple of years. Um, so the whole family moved out there. Um, and I think that really had a big impact on my life, how I view the world. So at that point in time, it's quite a critical age, I'd say. So there's lots of transition that was happening at that point in time. Mm. Um, and... Looking back at it now, I think it's been really, really valuable, and it's probably fueled my interest in people and in travelling. So, how long were you in Kenya? Um, for two years, so uh, between the ages of twelve and fourteen. Um, so it was a really big shift to me, kind of growing up in the UK. I think we were talking about this um, on the phone the other day. Yeah. But I, I moved. I didn't actually tell you this, but but my mum moved us. So my parents came from Ireland in the fifties in, right, okay. in the UK. My mum moved us when I think I was. Seven, six or seven, okay, something like that. We'd already yeah. started school. Um, moved the family over to Dublin to go and live in Dublin, which oh, wow. was really bizarre. I didn't enjoy it at all. Yeah, I didn't. I found at the it time. really difficult. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was a big shift. Um, you know, all the things that you're used to, your comfort mm. zones, um, just the, I suppose the, the atmosphere of safety kind of changes. Yeah. So you're in a new um, new area, new people, new schools, which are quite big things. So yeah. you know, when you're yeah. younger, your peer group are you know really important mm. to you. And at that point in time, there wasn't things like social media or the internet. Yes. So it really was kind of people that you were around. Who it's were been a time when it influence. hasn't existed, social media. Yeah, it's surprisingly, I can't yeah. Actually remember. When did it not exist? Yeah. It's always been in my consciousness. How bizarre. <laughs> but that's right. Yeah. It never used to exist. No, and, it didn't. And we depended on actual real world relationships. Yeah. Um, and also, I suppose, going to a country where there's quite a lot of disparity, which is 
very present. So, you know, a, a big shift between kind of what you see here and the amenities you have in the UK yeah. and then moving to a country where you're faced with things like poverty uh, and extreme, so extreme poverty and extreme kind of wealth yeah. um, and trying to figure out what your position is in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do think in the UK we are moving to a position where, you know, a lot of children do live below the poverty line, mm. um, but perhaps it's not as extreme or as exposed as, yeah. as other countries. We still have something of a safety net. Yeah. We? But, yeah. I mean, the poverty exists. I mean, I grew yeah. up in poverty. So yeah. Actually, we were very poor as, as kids. Yeah. I remember we had to get social services to get help and stuff like yeah. that because um, we, we literally didn't have enough. So, yeah. I mean, yes, poverty exists. And I've worked with it in the UK. In London, mm. for example, I used to work with an organization called Kids Company. Where oh, yeah. Okay. Like, kids were on the streets and yeah. kids were living hand to mouth. They were definitely poor. Yeah. And it's still kind of going on yeah. now as well. All you of know. that sort of stuff. So yeah. There's an underbelly there or yeah. people that live uh, a yeah. sort of a very, very disenfranchised lifestyle indeed. So, definitely. Yeah, and yeah. that's why I think, you know, systems around us are really important. Yeah. Right. Uh, whether it's our family system or our friends um, or the environment that we live in, the community that we live in. So what I want to look at and what I'm interested in is this, I suppose. So you move when you're 12. But prior to that, yeah. what was life like? Was it quite stable for you? Was it? I'd say it was relatively stable. So, um, you know, uh, I have a brother who's older than me, both my parents. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, two-parent household with my older brother. So I'd say it was relatively relatively stable up until that point. So there was enough to eat, there was enough yeah. money, yeah. Know, parents were, were okay with each other, their they relationship were, was stable. Yeah, that was Like any fine. relationship, and yeah. ups and downs. But. Ups and downs. And my dad used to travel quite a lot for work, um, but, you know, relatively stable. So quite a loving family. Did you know that they loved you, your parents? It yeah. Was, it wasn't was negotiated. You didn't have to go and beg for their love. No, luckily. It was there. Yeah, it was yeah, there. It was yeah. there. They were available emotionally. Yeah. Um, Which so is not true for everybody. No. It's absolutely not true. And it, it's quite a sort of... Um, oh, Jennifer's, I think, sent us a message. Hang on. What's she having for breakfast? Well, I don't know. We'll find out. Let's, what are you having for breakfast, Jennifer? It's not showing me. My facial recognition is not working on my <laughs> phone. Um, does my face change when I do this show or something? Um, so hang on oh hang on what's she doing Jennifer what sounds great it sounds great she says and she wants also my logins and my WordPress I think that's a, another message about something else okay no Jennifer I'm not giving you my login to my WordPress <laughs> don't know what she's going to do to my website with that for goodness sake <laughs> not letting anybody near my website hijack so, your WordPress <laughs> absolutely you can just imagine yeah there was photos of spaghetti in there I don't know what that's all about what is no, I don't think she's having spaghetti for breakfast. I, I cannot imagine Jennifer Variano. I mean, she's in California. They wouldn't eat spaghetti. For, my God, you'd, you'd actually but be arrested. But do you have to follow the rules? SWAT would come through the window. <laughs> and the carbs. Take Put down the carbs. <laughs> Step away from the carbs. <laughs> it would be like that, wouldn't it? Yeah. It would just be like... Probably. <laughs> I used to eat spaghetti for breakfast. Oh, this is a lot of air <laughs> But there you go. So coming back to this period of uh, 0 to 12. Yeah. You knew that you were loved. You didn't have to negotiate for yeah. it. There were the usual stuff that was going on. Yeah. Uh, were there issues around being Asian and from... East African Asian background did you notice anything about that as a kid I don't think up? it was that apparent when I grew up so I grew up in London so it was quite a yeah. mixed school okay. that I went to um, but I think where it has probably become apparent is um, 
in my teenage years and sort of early 20s. Um, so predominantly sort of after like the London bombings in particular. Ah. So 9-11 and the London bombing stand out as two key events that kind of shifted the culture in terms of what it means to be Asian. Right. Um, I think when I was growing up, there's still probably a perception that uh, being Asian means you're submissive. Um, so you weren't necessarily seen as that much of a threat or you were seen as being intelligent so you know you weren't really excluded in that respect yeah. uh, but I suppose sometimes you might have needed to have you know found a way to stand up for yourself yeah. Um, yeah. but I didn't necessarily experience any bullying or anything like that growing okay. up uh, but I did notice a shift which actually led to my doctoral research which yeah. is around the London bombings and we're going to come to that it's yeah we'll come to that in a little while you know that the idea of brown is a new black or brown is yeah. a new Irish yeah know, really 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 interesting stuff yeah. actually which I want to come on to and um, sort of look at that because there was a massive shift definitely uh, the Islamophobic stuff and, and, and how anybody who vaguely looked yeah, Muslim, and yeah. of course, there's a huge number of people who are not Muslim who yeah. have a similar skin tone. Yeah, <laughs> so you're like, kind of tarred with I the know. same brush. It's, yeah, it's bizarre stuff. It's yeah. really bizarre stuff. It's the real othering in the real sense. Isn't yeah, it? so we will come back to that because I think it's fascinating what's happened, and also the responses of services to that, which we're going to go into more. Uh, I'm going to keep us on track with thinking about you and your experience. Yeah, sure. So the experience I had going to Ireland as a child was so over here I was Irish. Yeah. And then I went to Ireland and I was definitely not Irish. Yeah. I was definitely English. And yeah. That's what, there was no way yeah. that they considered me Irish at all. Despite Noel Daniel McDermott being my name, which is, yeah. you can't get much more Irish than that, right? Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because I think, um, obviously, my parents are Indian in terms of their heritage, yeah. but they were both born in East Africa. Yeah. Um, but when I went to India, I didn't really feel a connection. So yeah. I feel more of a connection to East Africa than I would to India. Yeah. Um, but I think um, identity is really fluid. So when I went back, probably about five years ago, I felt like there was more of a connection. But yeah, I was think sometimes I think about this. If I were to leave the UK, I don't know where I'd go, what I would, where I'd call yes. home. Yes. Um, and yeah, so I, I don't think I'd ever describe myself as English. I describe myself as British, yes. or British Asian, yeah. but never English. Yeah, I mean, I see myself as British Irish. I yeah. That. But yeah. I also see myself very much as a Londoner now. Yeah. I, I would say of all the places I've been in the world, London is the place yeah. that I would easily associate with as home. I'm not from here at all. Yeah. But I feel really comfortable in this city. I agree. I think, you know, we're really lucky in London that there's such a mix yeah. of people where yeah. generally on a day-to-day -day basis, you don't have to think too much around who you are, where you're from, your yeah. identity. Yeah. But because I travel a lot for work, uh, when I'm outside of London, I think that's when I notice perhaps my brownness more. Yes. Um, yes, yes. You know, you yes. may be kind of conscious around where you're going, what areas you're in. Yeah. Um, I suppose knowing London, you might not necessarily be thinking about that a lot of the yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, if I think of my, my hometown, Birmingham, yeah. it, I mean, there's almost literally walls in between yeah. white and brown communities. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, literally, almost literally ghettos now. Yeah. And and, and partly that is 9-11, uh, but it was also happening before that, I think. Yeah. You know. Because I think when, um, you know, perhaps we move from one country to another and there's different inter intergenerational differences, yeah. um, a part of it is how much do you hold on to what you know yeah. and how much do you shift and change? Because, yeah. you know, if you went back to sort of India where I'm from, things have shifted, things have moved yes. forward. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but sometimes in terms of us feeling safe, we want to hold on to yeah. what we know. That expat stuff. Yeah. Like and my dad is more Irish than any Irish person on the yeah. planet. And <laughs> yeah. he hasn't been there in 40 years. Yeah. And if he went back, they'd be like, 
who is that guy from like his yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark or some dinosaur guy? Because <laughs> it's nothing like Irish no. people now. No. Yeah. It's extraordinary. It's yeah, yeah it's really interesting. Yeah. Um but I do know if people kind of I mean my parents were relatively lucky when they came here so um you know they could speak English they were educated so it was easier for them to transition into being in the UK. Yeah. Um but And they had uh, good jobs and money and stuff like that. Yeah, which is why they could get here. Yeah. Um so and, in but terms that of cushion, cushions as well as, yeah. as we've already alluded to if you yeah. have resources. Yeah. Um then those resources and it's often I mean the point you just made is very important I think that a lot of people who choose to migrate um, and also a lot of people who are forced to migrate. Yeah. The people who manage to make it here are generally the wealthier, edu yeah. more educated people. Access to resources, which means yeah. that you can you know, be transient. So, I mean, all this talk we have about having a flood of migration or refugees, yeah. it's always been nonsense. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. The vast majority of people are on the borders of the country they're fleeing from. Yeah. Or just over the border. Yeah. Um, held in camps or held in camps just on their border yeah know, as in what's called idps internally displaced people yeah so we've never had the issue here we've only ever got the the fruits of it yeah and i don't believe that people would necessarily choose to leave without a reason no so some reason why they're looking for something better yeah or they of need course. a sense of security or safety but that's why i'm here because yeah. my parents were looking for something better yeah <laughs> for goodness sake yeah. i could have say to somebody else doing it no you can't exactly yeah. no, it's ridiculous it's ridiculous nonsense and it's it's what's made the world the way it is yeah um but you've never noticed any of this sort of discrimination or point finger pointing as a child or it wasn't a big issue for you not that i was aware of not in primary school no right, right. yeah yeah, not really. And then at 12, you go to East Africa. Yeah. You find it challenging and difficult, as you would do, but I guess in, in the way that you would normally expect. Yeah. So I, I probably... Anybody who dislocates, particularly at that age, yeah. is going to find it a challenge. Yeah, and I suppose not really kind of understanding the transition too much at that stage. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you're so used to seeing the world from one point of view to then go to something which feels completely different at the time is is kind of mind-blowing yeah. um so you're trying to navigate your way in that system so um i did go to british school so i was probably you know in terms of schooling it wasn't too different but it was a big jump in terms of the expectations mm. um even things like um how education works in a different country okay um so yeah it was it was challenging um you know simple things like here i could get on a bus or i could get on the train that wasn't an option there okay so everything that was kind of comfortable and familiar did shift and was there a gender shift as well i mean was there different expectations because of your gender was, was um, that did you notice anything you're probably like that? more aware of the need to try and keep safe right. i suppose um so whether it's you know yeah i suppose you are probably more vulnerable as a female okay. um so even in terms of going out and things like that you have to be more mindful about what yeah. you're doing and when you did your parents put any expectations on you around that you've got to behave in a certain way or uh not not really okay. yeah not really okay um, Jennifer's let us know what she's eating. By What's the way. she having? It's the usual green gloop. Oh, okay. So no carbs. Not spaghetti. Not spaghetti. I, I'm off the cheesy carbs till the holidays. Okay. Is what she's saying. So there we go. The, that's the answer we all were looking for. Um, still. Um, so you're 12. What time do you? What age do you stay there in East Africa till? Um, till about 14. So I came back when I was 14. Okay. So you come back at actually quite a crucial age, the 14. Yeah. Yeah. Puberty started. Yeah. All of the, the really intense need for a peer group and all yeah. that sort of stuff and definitely defining yourself within that peer group. This is yeah. when we really go for it. Yeah. The frontal lobes are just going, give me all Who this am stuff. I? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, you know, sucking up relationships yeah. like uh, no, yeah. nobody's business. And also coming back into schooling when people have been together for at least two years. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, coming back at a time where you are the outsider. Yeah. 
Um, did that work to your advantage or disadvantage? Did you well, play it or did you? I was actually really lucky because my best friend, who's still my best friend now, Nina, um, she... Hi, Nina. Hi, Nina. Um, she actually had a really similar story to me. Right. So she... Um, I was thinking about this today. Okay. So she moved to Lebanon at the same time as me. So I didn't know her before. She was born in the yeah. UK, moved to Lebanon at the same time and then moved back to... England at the same time as when we started school together. Um, We were never in the same class, but we connected over music. Um, And I was thinking about this today. I think if I didn't have that sense of connectedness, it would have really felt like I was an outsider. But I had a few people who were sort of more international and come back. Um, But it was really interesting then to see the disparity between how I'd experienced life and and sometimes the blinkered view of people who maybe hadn't travelled. What's interesting is that you you made those connections and there's an assumption in there which I'm not going to challenge it's not an assumption to a change it's yeah what I want to highlight something which is uh, maybe people are assuming that making connections is what we can do because of course yeah. that's what we do as human beings yeah but actually there's, you know people who've had adverse childhood experiences yeah actually can't do that yeah finding those hard. those really you know the challenge sort of yeah. attachment patterns definitely frozen attachment patterns all that sort of stuff yeah makes finding connection really difficult yeah and trust you know trust yeah. in people yeah. um you know it can feel very scary if it feels unsafe but again i suppose the point i want to um what i want to highlight for people listening is this that what made you resilient to these quite significant yeah. changes was your ability to form relationships. Yeah. That's what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and that stems back to some of the key relationships in my life. Yeah, early and, on. you know, you, you develop that capacity, or it's naturally in us anyway. Yeah. But your parents and your family fostered that. Yeah. That it was a facilitating environment in which you're, you could develop those latent capacities yeah. within you. Yeah, you have the ability to kind of bounce back from adversity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we're, we're t- I mean, in utero, we're practising um, relationship, aren't we? So yeah. in utero, we're practising smiling and things like that and yeah so we come out with it one of the five things we've got is smiling so yeah grasping we've got how long one two minute, minute two minutes yeah two well, minutes left. okay two minutes left we're grasping rooting sucking tracking smiling yeah and we would we come out smiling because we're essentially social animals yeah that are forming bonds because yeah. we need to form these bonds because we at that point rely on them just get fed on a basic we're trying level. to survive that's yeah. right yeah um, but that's that's our best survival skill yeah that's why it's one of the five things that a baby is born with is yeah. this ability to go hello love me yeah and that is the core of it but you had that your family gave you that yeah so you go lucky. through these significant transitions and you do automatically what a healthy human being does which is form relationship yeah and Nina thank you because she's <laughs> awesome oh thanks and you help make her who she is so thanks for that Nina we love you big shout out to Nina <laughs> Nina in the house Nina's actually in Lebanon at the moment is so she well you, you can join in it's a, <laughs> it's a Skype number Nina so you're Involved. welcome to Skype again. <laughs> um, and um, so uh, that, which I think is the really important point. Yeah. You know, that you do that. OK, we're going to go into the advert breaks now uh, in just a minute. So uh, we'll have some adverts uh, a few minutes and then we'll come back. OK. And then we're going to look at uh, sort of more of your professional as well as your professional development. And how OK. You got into this field and, yeah. and where you are. So sure. any questions uh, and comments, please bring them into us. We really want to hear from you tonight. Um, and um, um, so sort of we've got a great show. Uh, for the rest of the evening catch you after the break Hi I'm Noel McDummer welcome to Wellbeing Wednesdays on Men's Radio Station Hi Glenn I see you've just joined us good to have you I'm just about to say hi to Glenn on Facebook Live as well Hi Glenn Hang on, if I can spell it correctly. 
There we go. So we've got people joining us on Facebook Live. I'm just saying hi. There you go. You can tell us live. Uh, welcome back to Wellbeing Wednesdays on Men's Radio Session. I'm Normie Gromit. I'm the psychotherapist, and I'm here with. Uh, who are you? Who am I? I'm Dr. Rena Bajaj. I'm a counselling psychologist. Dr. Rena Bajaj is in the house. <laughs> And we got um, Luke yes. in the house, yes, and we got Jingle James in the house. So we are live. Yo, we are yo. live and direct. And um, Luke, how's your anxiety? It's well actually done. calmed down a bit yeah? now. I good, feel like good. I'm more in control. Good. Um, and I and I said thirty seconds in a really controlled voice. I know we voice. all actually jumped to it. Very authoritative. So, uh, yeah. so I felt more. Yeah. Now I feel really in control. You're in control. <laughs> so uh, we have a fantastic guest, uh, Rena, with us, and we've already been talking about um, your life experience. Your very interesting life experience. And yeah. Instead of having moved country and uh, begun to talk to touch on questions of identity and what all yeah. that is, we're going to get more into that soon. Uh, I just want to sort of remind you, it is a live radio, so you can join in. Um, there is a phone number that you can call us on. Um, um, and here it is, if you listen to this jingle right now. 0203 So 0203-290-4411. Call us. You can call us uh, from anywhere on that number because it's a Skype number and we'll put you on. We'll be uber excited to have your comments, thoughts and questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also join us on Facebook Live. Go onto Facebook and look for Men's Radio Station. Join us, join in live. And um, as some of my mates have, Glyn and Margot and Margaret, thanks and good to have you there on Facebook Live. Um, do give us your thoughts, comments and questions. We'd love to hear from you about that, uh, about the show. And uh, we're with Dr... Uh, Bajaj. Yeah, well done, second I time. Right. Well yeah. done. I got it right again. <laughs> um, uh, who's um, uh, very kindly come in to um, share her uh, experience with us, her life experience, and also professional experience. Um, uh, uh, sort of a, a really very uh, top notch um, counselling psychologist, researcher, and trainer. Uh, works for herself and also for the Anna Freud Centre. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, really skilled um, person, really amazing person to have in this show. Thank you. Guess. And we've just we were hearing about your sort of um, childhood growing up and yeah. the core message we got was that um, your parents did the right thing in terms of teaching you how to form relationships. Yeah. Uh, they nurtured that innate ability in you and, and yeah. that was tested. You had a test of that capacity when yeah. you were 12, which was uh, you had to relocate to another country. Yeah. Uh, and then you had to practice all that stuff off that yeah had been nurtured into you and you did it yeah and then you had another relocation back and yeah. again you were challenged into doing that but you did it and yeah. in fact um not only did you you did it so well that you made your best mate from it which is yeah Nina, and it's been 22 years I know. now that I've that, known that, her, that's yeah. extraordinary a long the, time the first thing you did was to form a bond a loving bond with somebody yeah and, and that's got to be um one of the key messages i think um definitely m- moving on now to so you come back you're you're at school you're 14 you're doing successfully you listen to some good music <laughs> making friends from music yeah. and all that sort of stuff you already made friends with James yeah we connected over music. I mean, it's music. Auto- I mean so you're doing it automatically aren't you you're just forming relationships wherever you go so yeah. it's, it's really built into you um, and uh, you do school then you um, and then you choose what to do psychology at university or something what yeah so I went to college and I wasn't sure whether I wanted to do art or psychology so I did both but psychology really piqued my interest mm. um, so it is amazing how kind of teachers can have quite a big influence over you yeah. um, so both of my psychology teachers I, I really liked one because he was almost like a nutty professor and was quite quirky um, I remember one session where he tried to hypnotise the whole class and it was just hilarious um, but it's it's part of my interest you know yeah. it's part of my interest in people yeah. uh, even growing up I was always that child that people would come to in order to 
talk to or right. I'd be the supportive one. So I suppose I had that in me. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the second teacher, who was my psychology teacher at college, she um, she was relatively young, so she was like early 20s. And I think it was just a really good role model. Um, so I decided, yeah, when I got to uni, I'll do psychology and just see what happens. Where did you go to university? Uh, Sussex. Great. Yeah. Beautiful so. place. Yeah, really good. Beautiful place to go. Yeah. And so you, you then do that psychology career thing, yeah. which is you're going to head towards a doctorate because... Well, I didn't have that planned, no. no. Oh, okay. So I thought I'd do my degree and then I'll just see what happens. Um, so I worked for a year as a mentor and then I actually just fell into it. I went for an interview and it worked out because hmm. um, at that point I was still relatively young and um, some institutions wouldn't touch me because of my age. Um, so I had the opportunity to sort of go for an interview and it just seemed to make sense. So I thought I'd do the first year and then I'll practice and I ended up in... Uh, did my doctorate ended up staying right yeah and you've got your doctorate yeah. and you do your research yeah but you're interested not in so much in the research but in helping people is that it's does that evolve or? yeah it does evolve so right. i think um even my doctorate was on the impact of the london bombings on asian men so i'm very interested in hearing people's stories and okay. research is something i'm thinking of going back into right uh, but i suppose even in my therapeutic work i i hear people's stories a lot of the um, time so i mean that's a fascinating topic to choose yeah um, what led you to choose that topic so um as i mentioned i think things really shifted after 9 11 um and then 7 7 um so one of the things that I was noticing is that some of the people that I knew, so my older brother and other Asian men that I knew, um, were getting stopped and searched a lot. Um, and it just got me thinking around kind of the context of Asian men and what that must feel like. Yeah. So from almost being quite an invisible group to now being quite visible, um, Islamophobia was all over the place. Mm. Um, so it just got me thinking about identities and how does that impact upon people. Mm. Um, so yeah, that, that sparked my interest. And I was interested in getting a range of views from both Muslim and non-Muslim men. Mm -hmm. Because even though you might not be able to know who's who, um, one thing that was common was what they looked like. Yeah. Uh, so there's lots of assumptions that can be made around people based on what we can see or what we think we know. Yeah. And it's really natural, we all have assumptions. But a part of it is recognizing that, I think. So there's something about the color of people's skin, the yeah. skin tone, yeah. then became a totem yeah. that people attach things to. Yeah. And they attach this sort of Islamic Muslim thing to yeah. whether it's appropriate or not. Yeah. And, and it's fear. You know, there's a whole mix of people who have the same colour skin. Yeah. So could be Christian, could be Muslim, yeah. could be Sikh, could be yeah. many, many. There's, well, there's nine major yeah. world religions which it's people true, yeah. can choose from, you know. Yeah. So, or none at all. They could be completely atheist and or yeah. agnostic or disinterested. Exactly. Or, you know. It's almost like what that represented. So I remember talking to this Irish guy, actually, hmm. uh, before starting my research. And um, he was talking about the experiences from when the IRA was quite present yes. and, and bombing. Yeah. Um, but he, what he used to say is, actually no one knew we were Irish until we opened our mouth yeah. and then you could tell from the accent but I suppose you can't hide your race yes. um, so you know there's already assumptions whether it's overt racism or covert racism that's, that's happening mm. constantly and that was your experience because you said growing up you didn't notice that you no. were brown it wasn't an yeah. issue not I mean, in London no. but that did change So but that, and has it changed for you as well I mean in um, the sense of I think I'm always a bit more conscious, right. maybe not in London so much, yeah. but when I'm outside of London, um, just in terms of, I suppose even now with the B word, yeah. um, there's lots of assumptions around what's going to happen and, you know, 
politically things have changed so yeah. um i think yeah you are more aware of of who you are so from a sort of um sort of psychological perspective what yeah. happens because the, the interest that i know that you have is around identity yeah. and um, community and yeah how that fosters good mental health or bad mental yeah. health so in terms of your doctorate what did you what were the major fi- findings that you found? So, we, we yeah. know that racism creates uh, mental illness and we, we just know that yeah everybody knows that right yeah, everybody under uh, is that an assumption I can make that people well, understand that these types of I processes make people ill? I don't know. I don't know if, because do we recognise that that's the thing that's feeding into their their illness or, or their struggles? Well, I do. Should we talk about that? Maybe we should. Yeah. Because um, as far as I'm concerned, racism creates mental illness in people. Yeah, but I think if uh, people when people think of racism, I think they think to, uh, tend to think of overt racism. Right. But there's also covert racism. There might be subtleties: the way okay. people look at you, uh, the way so people speak to you. Yeah glass ceilings yes and the, the cold shoulder and the yeah the change in atmosphere when you walk into a room yeah those types of things yeah which, which tell agree. you are you are the other you're not part of yeah even now you know people that i speak to should i put my actual name on a job application or right. that disadvantage me don't want to tick what ethnic background i'm from yeah. don't want to tick what race or religion i'm from so you know people are kind of weighing up their decisions more in terms of whether so you that tell might me you're the your psychologist yeah, yeah. i think i know but let's have that conversation yeah what does that do to somebody's psyche sense of self their mental health yeah their self-worth you tell me well i think the thing that was prominent with my research was that um um, although the individuals themselves didn't feel like they had changed, mm-hmm. the way that they were viewed had changed. Yeah. And that really impacted upon how they felt about themselves. Mm. So sense of self-worth, um, those feelings of anger, of frustration, of sadness. Mm. It actually created divi- a divide uh, within the community in terms of wanting to distance yourself from the other, to be seen as different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also some people made quite drastic choices around altering their appearance. Um, so whether it was shaving off a beard or if they were wearing a turban to kind of not wear a turban anymore. Right. Um, so they're more conscious about how they might be perceived. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it can really impact upon who you think you are or yeah. you know, the and way that you And some of those sort yourself. of harder health outcomes and mental yeah. health outcomes. So I would expect um, if a particular group of people are targeted, yeah. we're going to see an increased rate of depression, anxiety, yeah. suicide, definitely psychosis, yeah, uh, borderline personality disorder, yeah. bipolar functioning. Yeah, across the range, you will see a spike in these types definitely. of conditions, and also kind of vicarious trauma. So the thing yeah. that's quite interesting now is that the media. Um, we see things instantly. So we're all constantly yeah. surrounded by images. So we've all probably got images of 9-11 or 7-7. Yeah. So, you know, even in terms of hypervigilance, that was something that definitely increased. So, of course, that's a, a, literally a, um, a symptom of um, post-trauma uh, PTSD, syndrome. yeah, trauma. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah so yeah, being yeah. more aware. So probably not just worried about yourself, but worried about your family yeah. um, or family members. So, you know... Uh, so I'm, hypervigilance yeah. and increased anxiety yeah. associated with death of some sort. Yeah. So are the conditions for creating PTSD. Yeah, or feeling under attack. Yes. Um, so for some of my participants, there's a link back to some of their previous experiences. Yeah. So even though they weren't directly um, in, in the trains or around the area when the bombings went off, they were still impacted and still were displaying some PTSD symptoms. And one thing that isn't often talked about, which is a fact, is that people who are mentally ill are also often quite antisocial in behaviour. Yeah. So uh, extreme anxiety produces aggression, so does depression. Yeah. 10% of people have ang- anger problems associated yeah. with depression. Yeah. Um, uh, somebody having a psychotic episode can appear very disturbed and yeah. frightening to people around them, etc., etc., etc. Also, if you're experiencing these microaggressions every day, this isolation 
Now, we're going to compare that to, yeah. if we think about, and I want to come back to your childhood experience and this experience. Yeah. So what saved you from getting damaged from the things that happened to you as a child, yeah. you sort of ripped away from one community and place another, yeah. was what? Your capacity to form relationships. Yeah, I agree, yeah. That's what gave you the resilience. Now, if we take that away from people, yeah. because we get racist and exclusive, and yeah. all, then we take away that capacity to be resilient to life's experiences. Yeah, and if you think about it logically, if yeah. you feel under threat, you're going to want to protect yourself. Yeah. And we protect ourselves in a way that we know how. Yeah. And we know that you know boys in particular, or men are more likely to have mo- more overt symptoms. So externalise. Yeah. So that's where you get the anger, that's where you might get the aggression. Yeah. Yeah. And actually it's just a vulnerability. And then you get a vicious cycle, right? Yeah, but then what we tend to see with behaviour is we automatically assume that person is angry yeah. Um, or, but they're not, they're yeah. frightened. We don't separate the behaviour from the person. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But what is sort of the motivation? Because it's a fight flight response. Yeah, of course. So the person is afraid yeah. and they're fighting because they're afraid. Yeah, so your body is actually doing what it's meant yeah. to do. Um, it's just yeah. we can't. It's, and then the we thing send is signals now. saying that it's wrong. Yeah. It's also the body is doing something that na- you don't necessarily have conscious control over. Because no. once the amygdala kicks in, yeah. goodbye frontal lobe, it hijacks goodbye, your logical brain. Goodbye executive functioning. Yeah. All gone, all gone, all gone, all gone. Yeah. Straight into animal functioning. Yeah. yeah. So you can't do the logical thinking. Yeah. You can't I, just I've calm done it down. myself. I've yeah. done it myself. I've, I've been cycling down the street. Somebody's cut me up. I immediately flash into they're trying to kill me. Yeah. And I go for it. And yeah. I, I remember, you know, a police officer just stopping me and mm. saying, that frightened you, didn't it? Yeah. And then I burst into tears. Yeah. So you almost need someone to reflect me. back. Right. Yeah. So it frightened me. Yeah. But I was a white, middle class, slightly overweight bloke. Yeah. <laughs> who and so she said to me it frightened you didn't it rather yeah. than pulling out a weapon yeah and attacking me yeah or seeing you just as an angry angry man which um, if, the, if the color of my skin was different if yeah. i was a younger yeah it would have been so if i was a young brown man yeah. doing that and it could have escalated would have been very different probably yeah. and it would have escalated it would have been a vicious cycle yeah. yeah because at that point there's no reasoning that can take place because yeah. you're just trying to survive yeah I was even if you feel emotionally you, unsafe yeah, yeah, that yeah. can kick in yeah, the fight yeah, or yeah, flight yeah, absolutely yeah and uh, you know she, she was very kind thank you police officer in Islington for doing that to me <laughs> I needed a good cry that's what I needed yeah and most of these situations that's what we need is that bonding don't we i agree and especially i think with young people there's lots of um places where they are stigmatized and where they are labeled whether it's in school or perhaps outside of school so we can all have our assumptions if i say to say to you like tell me all the words that come to mind when you think of the word teenager or adolescent i can guarantee that most of them will probably be quite negative so young people and they're already fighting against stereotypes so they're already probably going to be a bit more hyper most young people are fine apart from james (laughs) Who, That's I what have I, to say, yeah. he's sitting in the corner looking very menacing at the moment. Are you actually tooled up at the moment, James? Always. Always. <laughs> I say he's quite frightening. He's yeah. quite frightening. Our, our token young person over in the corner. <laughs> but that's true. I mean, it is true. I mean, the facts are... Look, he's got his keys hacked. <laughs> oh, no, put them away. James, are you going to turn me on? <laughs> um, uh, most, um, uh, we, we look at the figures for, I mean, we, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a um, you know, middle-aged white bloke and I can see a gang of kids and sort of get anxious. I know I can. I mean, yeah. It happens. Um, but I also happen to know I'm 
the least likely person to be problem uh, yeah. have a problem because the, it's that gang or the kids in those gangs are most at risk of violence. Yeah, that's it's true. It's not me. No. So the the people most at risk of violence in London or anywhere in the UK are young men between sixteen and twenty five. Yeah, and that's both practically, physically, and emotionally. Yeah. Uh, so we know yeah. that there's an increase in uh, suicidal rates. There's an increase in depression and anxiety. You know. Yeah. Anxiety and depression is really, really common. Yeah. We know that it's risen for young people as well. So it's shifted from one in 10 to one in eight. Yeah. Uh, young people aged between five and 19. Yeah, that's quite a significant um, shift. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Can be diagnosed with a condition yeah. in 2017. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it's really shifting. Yeah. Um, but there's also more awareness. Um, so I have on the positive, I suppose I have seen more young people reaching out to me to want to try and change patterns. Now, what's really important to me is that you do, people like yourself do this research and it gets out there and we can then begin to build an evidence base which is challenging some of the institutionalised responses. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, in the UK, we are lucky that we have this. Yeah. That we have people and then we can get that information out there. Yeah. And actually does influence um, um, organisations like the police. I know that. Yeah. Because, uh, I, you know, we don't have a police service on the whole that want to get tooled up or want to get into big mm. fights. Mm. Yeah. They're looking uh, mostly, I think, for yeah. forming relationships and developing good community relationships. And that's so so important it's so key yeah. um, I think even in terms of going back to early intervention it's yeah. so important so I yeah. used to work in uh, the criminal justice system as well yeah. and you know we know that 70 to 90% of individuals within the criminal justice system have a mental health need yeah. um, so you know when I used to work with individuals you could see there was an element of trauma yeah. they weren't able to build those relationships yeah. they're looking for that sense of connection and, and I, actually they didn't get that I did loads of work in youth offending yeah. teams and I I would go to the youth offending police um, sort of and it was always that older sergeant who, yeah. who decided to do the youth offending work yeah it's a genius with kids yeah. always a genius with kids and I, you know I think also British police are really really good with mental health issues yeah they're getting better really I yeah. mean in America you get shot here yeah. you're going to be taken to the local A&E and all that sort of stuff and yeah well I mean, most I think, of the time yeah. yeah I mean I think they, you know they, it is it, they are the, the training could get better, the responses could get better. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in my experience, it, it is pretty good. You know? Yeah, and I think it's just, uh, you know, a symptom of, of the funding in different services. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone's really stretched and, you yeah. know, it is difficult. But I yeah. think people do the best that they can yeah. with the resources that yeah. they have. And we had um, uh, 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 a mental health, frontline mental health nurse on here um, uh, a month or so ago with yeah. something about her work and about, you know, um, in most cases, about 80% of the cases of people who rock up to having some sort of uh, florid episode of severe mental health problems. Yeah. And about 80% of the cases, they, they have contact once with services yeah. and then they get over it and they go away. Yeah, yeah. And so they might be in hospital for a day or two, but yeah. then they stabilise and they go away. And, that's true. And that's going to be... The problem we have in this type of situation with what the issues that we're talking about is that n that's not necessarily going to be the case because no. other labels get attached. Yeah, and I suppose it's around whether individuals will meet the threshold. Yeah. So, you know, if we think about mental health, it's on a spectrum. Yeah. And sometimes also when we think about mental health, we think about uh, cure rather than coping. Yeah. Um, so we need to also be working Absolutely. with people to think about really how they can important. cope. Really important. Yeah. So, you know, you can have a good life even yeah. if you have a diagnosis. Yeah. You can start to cope well. Yeah. But that's the key thing that sometimes is missing. So yeah. not everyone is going to need a specialised intervention. Yeah. Sometimes it's having a space to think about how you can cope better. But also I think reframing things, we've begun to reframe them in this conversation away yeah. from... 
um, looking at it in a criminal justice sense or looking at it the behavior yeah and then understanding what the meaning is and what's driving it yeah so I mean I'm very hopeful of things like for example uh, reframing violence as uh, a public health issue yeah rather than as a criminal justice issue yeah and they did that in Glasgow with astonishing results mm. Glasgow went from the place where you would you're going to guarantee to get knifed at some point yeah to a place which has the lowest sort of violence rates of anywhere wow, in the amazing. UK. It's extraordinary. Yeah. And just because they took a public health issue, a public yeah. health approach, mm. so they understood this as a health issue and they literally understand it as, as though it, it's a, an illness that can infect. Yeah, yeah, and it does. And, and they begin to contain and look at it and treat it and yeah. treat the reasons why people become violent in the first yeah. place. And the reasons why people come, tell me, I know what they are. Let's list yeah. them, shall we? Yeah, we can. So I think it's, you know, if you, I think predominantly if you feel unsafe, if you feel under yeah. threat, you know, that fight or flight again. Yeah. Uh, perhaps, you know, when you feel under threat, you're not able to verbalise what yeah. you need. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the time people don't learn the emotional language yeah. or they're not in contact with what's going on in their yeah. bodies or their minds. Um, and that can be really scary, so actually. So they're straining to the physicalisation yeah. of it. One of the biggest predictors of current violence is previous exposure as well. Yeah. So we know this, that kids have been brought up in violent situations yeah we know where they are yeah we have the information yeah if we want to stop violence in future we do the what you talked about the early intervention yeah definitely. we go in there we do the work with the kids and we teach them exactly what you're saying yeah and is, we normalize talking about mental health that's right you know so um it just becomes a part of yeah. our uh, vocabulary and often as adults we don't know how to describe our emotions yeah. Yeah. and that's quite disabling yeah. and we're actually i think uh, in our cultures and communities often given ways of numbing on yeah. Rather than dealing with. Yeah. So we're told it's better to just numb out on it. It's better yeah. Use the sugar, use the alcohol, use yeah. this, use that. Don't don't actually feel it. Yeah. You know, don't actually talk about it and communicate it. Use the screen. Yeah. Escape from it. Um, Keep suppressing your emotion and then yeah. it just intensifies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So you do this research. This is fascinating research and yeah. really important. So it tells me something about you that um, you're not just interested in sitting on the 50-minute hour with people. No. You actually want to change the world a bit, don't you? Well, I like to try. Um, I like to, I wouldn't say I want to change the world, but I want to have an empowering space for people. Right. You know, I think it's really important if we're going to do this work to do it really ethically and morally. Yeah. Um, and actually, it's a real privilege to sit in a room with someone yeah. and have them tell you their story. I also think there's something else going on for me. And this is for me, not you. But yeah. I would add on to that. Um, you know, I, I sort of... Because I think that um, therapy doesn't make any sense or counselling, whatever word you want to use, yeah. doesn't make any sense unless it's transferable to the real world. Yeah, I agree. So uh, I, I don't, don't believe there's any point in doing it unless you can actually change your life in a way for the better. Yeah. And sometimes we can't change our life for the better because there's something uh, constitutional or institutional that's stopping it. Yeah. And in those situations, I think it's absolutely ethical and appropriate to empower a client with the skills to go yeah. and change the world. We can cope better in those situations. Yeah. And that's the thing. Well, we know there's, there's, there's literally there are studies, aren't there? Yeah. You look at um, two people in exactly the same life circumstances yeah. that might be challenging, say, on benefits. Yeah. Um, and one will do better than the other. Yeah. And the one that does better is the one that's empowered to think of themselves as a, an actor or agent in yeah. their lives. Yeah. Because our feelings, our thoughts and our behaviour are connected. So yeah. we can elicit change in either of those domains, which will impact upon how we react to things. Say that again. I want people to really hear <laughs> that because that's really important. Statement. Yeah. So our feelings, our thoughts and our behaviour are all interlinked. Hmm. And we can change those parts of the system. But we do create James, patterns what does that, mean? that we're used to. Luke, Luke. 
Skywalker, what does that mean? <laughs> Tell me what you've just heard, because I think it's the most. It's a. It's a fundamentally important Definitely. statement. So that that all links. So the, your feeling, your feelings, your thoughts. What was the last one you said? Your behaviour. Your behaviour. Yeah. It's all linked. So thinking about it, because you said it in, in relationship to those two people, the imaginary people I created. Yeah. Mm. Both on the doll. Yeah. Uh, but one's doing really well on it in many ways, in, from a mental health, psychological perspective, and the other's suffering much more. Why is that sentence that the doctors just come out with linked to what I've just said? Well, because obviously, if you're if you're going through a tough time, your behaviour is gonna is gonna be a symptom of the the stuff that you're going through, isn't it? I suppose mm-hmm. if you're going through, say, it's, it, it, you could look at it in a way that, for an example, if you just broke up with your wife or your husband, yeah. mm. that you're gonna have, you might have an outburst, or you might. Um, you might get angry at someone when it when it may not have anything to do with it, and it might be the smallest thing that you're getting angry at them for. Yeah. Mm. But it's built up inside you for for quite a long time, and I suppose that was what I got from that. that yeah. What you were saying is about about it all being linked up, and it's very true. And I think sometimes you don't see that from a a different perspective when someone's getting angry at you because. So that's the stuff we were talking about before, not this. Mm. Yeah. Now, what I heard in that sentence, I'll tell you what I heard, and then we're going to mm. come back and I'm going to b- quiz you on it yeah. to, to make sure you got it right. This is my first show, goodness gracious. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Last, last, week we, last week we were sorting out Jingle James's eating disorder, so you're getting off uh, light, mate. So what I heard you say is that when, when life, when you have uh, actual circumstances in life which you can't do much about, mm. Right, like you're on the dole, there's not much you can do about it today. You might be working to get off and get a job and all that yeah. sort of stuff, or you might not be. And the key factor is going to be understanding the link between thoughts, feelings, and behavior. So you can change any one of those domains, is what we're yeah. being told. Would you say it goes in that order then? Of, of, of Not necessarily. Um, I think sometimes what we see is the behaviour. Mm. But what I would say is probably coming in at the feelings level first, because if we're thinking about the fight or flight, um, and what happens is if we feel under threat, our primitive brain hijacks the logical brain, so we can't always do the thinking. Yeah. So when I think about feelings, I'm thinking about, um, you know, how we might feel physiologically, so our reactions, um, recognising what's going on for us. Uh, And the first step is sort of understanding. And then you can start to challenge some of the thoughts. Because usually, if we're feeling quite rubbish, our thoughts are probably going to be more on the negative spectrum. And that's going to help make us feel worse, Mm. basically. So if we're feeling quite negative in terms of our emotional well-being, um, and then some of the thoughts that we're having, how we behave will be different. To you know, if we were feeling quite positive and our mindset was more positive, yeah. you know, our reactions to other people's situations would still be different, even if we're in a difficult situation. So, if we can jump into essentially, if we can jump into any one of those things and begin to change. We can't change the world that we're in, yeah. but we can change. Begin to understand. Uh, I'm feeling bad because of the situation. It's not because I'm bad or there's a problem yeah. in me. Um, then I can reframe my thinking. My thinking would usually, when I feel bad, my thinking usually say, no, you're shit, you're horrible, you're, yeah. you're, you're a rubbish, you're no good at this. And it but spirals. if I can sort of understand my feelings about it, I can have some distance from it and I can go, actually, those thoughts are not correct. I'm feeling like this because of the circumstances I'm in. It's appropriate to the circumstances I'm in. It doesn't make me a bad person. I'm going to do something about managing. I might go and talk to somebody, yeah. change my behaviour now. Yeah. Rather than being embarrassed and ashamed about being on the dole, I think what I might do is go and talk to a good doctor here and say... Perhaps, yeah. And, and, and you would go, oh, no, of course you feel like that because 
yeah. you're on the dole. It's not great to be on the dole. Da, 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 da. And I go, and I get some help around that. And I'm then going from a vicious cycle, which is yeah. what you were talking, to more of a virtuous circle. Now, in that virtuous circle, where we get to ultimately yeah. is the capacity to take action yeah. more effectively in our lives. And we develop more positive coping strategies. Because yeah. what we'll try and do is, is test out new ways of relating to the world and relating to people. So does that make sense? You yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's why those two people did cope differently. Mm. Yeah. So if you think about if you woke up one day and, uh, you know, you're running late, your alarm hasn't gone off and you're feeling really stressed and you're walking down the street and you see someone that you know, but they don't say hello to you. How do you think you'd feel or how do you think you'd react to them versus if you woke up one day, actually you're feeling quite positive, you managed to have breakfast, your coffee, whatever it is, you're feeling like you're in a good mood and then you walk down the street and you see the same person who doesn't acknowledge you. Right. Your reactions are going to be very different. So, right, well, I'm being signaled there. We're yeah. coming up to <laughs> uh, the adverts. Yeah. I managed to almost trick him into missing I the knew, adverts. I but I didn't want to say anything because I know it's your show, so I didn't want to... <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time somebody said that to me. Mm. <laughs> So uh, we're going to go to the adverts. Thank you. And this Thank is you. fascinating. Um, and after the adverts to come back, we'll have some questions to, to field. And yeah. I'll give those questions to you. Okay. And then we'll go into what your current passions and interests are. Sure. And okay. why, why you're there. So off to the adverts. Come and join us after the break. Hi, I'm Noel McDermott. Welcome to Wellbeing Wednesdays on Men's Radio Station. Is he going to freak out? He was having a little freak out there. He was, what are you doing to me, Noel? What are you doing? Hello, Lukey. How you, you all right? Are yeah. you still awake? I can feel my heart going. Can uh, you feel your heart going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. All this amazing work that Doctor's been doing with you. Just and, breathe, just breathe. And then I just blow it by, <laughs> by sort of making you sort of very anxious. Well, back to, Welcome back to uh, Men's Radio Station um, and Wellbeing Wednesday. Uh, we have Dr. Uh, Rena Bajaj with us this evening. It's been a fantastic show so far. Thank you. Yeah, really interesting. Really covered a, a lot of really interesting subjects. And we got Jingle James in the house. Jingle James, we <laughs> We got Lukey Skywalker Hello. in the house. Our Hello. pad one is uh, sort of in training. <laughs> He's joined us. Uh, it is men's radio station. So it's a radio station. You can join in. Um, you can call us live. Um, and unless you're listening on podcasts later in the week, but we, let's not confuse it in that way. <laughs> if you're listening now. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to tell that when he's on a podcast later in the week. But if you're listening now, you can call us on this number. 0203 Should we try that again? 0203 It is literally my favourite part of the show. <laughs> Put me under pressure. <laughs> Did I? Under pressure. Boom, ba -da -dum, ba -da -dum, boom. Um, so, yeah, um, join. You can call that number anywhere in the world, actually. It's a Skype number, so you'll get through. And we'll be uber excited uh, to hear from you, your comments, thoughts, questions. Um, hmm. Uh, your rant, if you want to have a rant, that's okay. And for one night only, we won't screen you if you call. Okay, that's so if you call, you're on. You're definitely on. You, you can't get better than that, can you? Um, the other way you can join us is on uh, Facebook Live. Uh, he says pointing to uh, the tablet that's uh, uh, recording us. Um, join us, uh, go on to Facebook and Google Find um, Men's Radio Station mm -hmm. and click on Live. I've just put a watch party on my... Um, uh, on my sort of personal profile. Sounds thing. suspicious. I know. <laughs> it's a, given what we've been talking about tonight, yeah. levels of paranoia have yeah, just gone high. up in the house. <laughs> um, so um, uh, join us uh, on that. And um, 
comments, thoughts, questions, uh, anything you want to share with us. Um, and uh, Dr. Bajaj is here to answer questions. I think we've got a few questions, haven't we? Yes, Absolutely. yeah. Oh, I've, do we? Okay. I've got a question myself. Yeah. Um, so obviously, in within the re- sort of recent few months, there's been talk, especially there's probably how many about four or five months ago, when uh, the gu- with Pretty Patel and things like that, they were talking about stop and search with police. Yeah. Um, and obviously, it is. I think it must be stop and search can obviously be viewed as racist, can't it? Yeah. What would what what are you what is your thinking on that? Well, I think there's a reason why people are being stopped and searched. Yeah. And there probably is some racial profiling behind that. So I don't believe it's completely random. Um, I think there needs to be some discussion around the reason for it. Why now? How are we involving um, the voices of the communities that are impacted by the stop and search? Um, So, yeah, I suppose some clarity as to as to why um, and how do we engage and build relationships? So going back to one of the things that we're talking about in terms of building relationships, Relationships, are we actually isolating communities or are we trying to engage them? Mm. And my question would be, why now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And what do you think it has an impact on the people, the communities that are being targeted? Because there clearly is some racial profiling going on. Well, I think it just disengages people. Right. So uh, if, if you start to see a them and us divide, then you're going to stick to what you know. Mm. So you're going to try and seek relationships with where you feel safe, mm. which is probably going to be within your community. And there's a potential to segregate yourself even more. Right. Yeah. So do you disagree with it yourself? Would you, if you were, if you were the prime minister... If you I was say, honest, though. Would you say no stop and search? I wouldn't say no stop and search necessarily, but I want to understand the reasoning as to why. Um, and I'd like to see the evidence as to whether stop and search has actually made a difference. Mm. Uh, so there needs to be some regulation as to why we are doing that and mm. who's being targeted. Mm. Um, so that would be my my stance on that. I think there's always a really good question to ask about, is it effective? Yeah. Why are we it, doing it? Is, it? is it achieving what they say it achieves? Yeah. Or is it doing the opposite? Exactly. So if, if you can show some evidence that actually it's had an impact and it's reduced crime or yeah something along those lines and yeah. then fine produce that evidence yeah, yeah. obviously it can have long-lasting effects kind of on the people that are stopped of course um, and not know. just them but for their families mm. as well and, and loved ones yeah. you know if would you be worried about let's say your son leaving the house every day um so i think yeah i think it has longer term impacts mm, in yeah. terms of how we view the safety of the world that we're in mm. yeah great so um coming back to um yourself and your professional development so you, yes you get involved you get interested in um the um uh, the sort of mental health impacts of certain sort of uh, experiences such as the 9-11-7-7 yeah um the shifts in cultural identity and yeah. personal identity because of it and that's quite a radical shift that happens yeah. almost overnight in terms of the color of your skin suddenly becoming a, yeah. a marker of being a potential mm. uh, mass murderer yeah negative connotations yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, um we're still there do you think in terms of our thinking about people has, has that shifted i think it's just become more normalized right to be honest given the political climate i think um covert racism mm. is is still there but now actually we're shifting into some forms of overt racism yes um so i don't necessarily think we've progressed yeah. i think yeah. we've gone backwards actually um you're referring to you know having donald trump in yeah our... donald trump Boris Johnson, yeah, yeah. Brexit. But would you see Boris Johnson as an over racist or, you know, is he more is 
How, how would you view him? Well, I think just in terms of, of policies and, and Brexit, I think immigration uh, played a key role in people's voting. Right. Um, so I think given Donald Trump being in power and then Brexit coming shortly after, mm. um, it's given some people an excuse to be able to say what they want and how they want to say and it. We had a psychoanalyst on the um, show the other week who's a specialist area, if you like, who's looking at... Um, social media. Yeah. And, I mean, he was a great fan of social media up until the yeah. recent stuff around uh, Cambridge Analytica and the manipulation of these spaces yeah. to, uh, and we now know, create uh, division. Yeah. Um, particularly Cambridge Analytica uh, uh, sort of supporting certain types of political views. Yeah. I think my question would be who's represented in the media? Yeah. Because I still don't see many people that look like me or look like the people that I know. Yeah. So, you know, who is, who is, uh, yeah, who's represented and yeah. who's kind of leading on that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think social media can be also quite an empowering tool. Mm. Um, so it can be a way to raise your voice and kind of start other campaigns. So it's not all bad. I mean, I've used it diagnostically. I've used it with people who are hyper anxious. And, yeah. Uh, they can't get out of the house. But what yeah. they can do is set up a Facebook profile yeah. and begin to develop relationships that way. And you can yeah. use it as a sort of stepping so it can be very positive yeah so it's you know it's in in the hands of the real consumers the real people yeah yeah, 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 I agree so I mean it might be interesting people are just sort of um, tuning in thinking what's this all about because this is supposed to be a therapy this show (laughs) Uh, I I suppose what's interesting me is that um, uh, and coming back to something I said just before the break which you agreed with is that it's about the transferability of this stuff to real life yeah and how much it has an impact on your real world ability to deal with life better yeah yeah. Okay. And that comes down to coping. Yeah. So I always come from the position of coping rather than cure. Yeah. So if I was to cut my arm off, I'm not going to expect my arm to grow back. Yeah. And similarly with mental health, I may always have a diagnosis or may always experience some symptoms, mm-hmm. but I can learn to cope better. So it can impact, you know, I can have a good quality of life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think the first step is sort of the understanding. Okay. Because um, sometimes there's quite a lot of shame around feeling a certain way or experiencing certain symptoms. Um, there's still a lot of stigma around mental health and yeah. what that means. Yeah. Um, I, I think, think for, for a lot of guys as well, there's a way of, it's almost like dismissing um, the symptoms that they are having. And yeah. They're not quite serious enough yeah. to warrant sort of looking at. We, we we did earlier on start talking about early intervention yeah. and the importance of early intervention. Yeah. So I think, you know, let's maybe go into now a discussion, more clinical discussion about yeah. looking at what are the types of things that you as a professional, if somebody is experiencing, you'd be going... Mm, I think we need to talk more about that and maybe look at what's going on. The key thing would be the impact on that person's life. Um, So, you know, is it impacting on their relationships? Is it impacting on their day-to-day functioning? Is it impacting upon how they feel about themselves or other people or the world around them? Uh, You know, there's a reason why people might want to talk to someone Hmm. um, and it's usually because there's an impact on on their functioning or something shifted for them. sort of consequences are happening. Yeah, yeah. What sort of symptoms would you be worried about if somebody comes in if you want you think oh now this needs this isn't just uh, life happening to yeah I think, you know, um, probably disengagement. Right. Uh, so if they were going to work or if they were engaged in their relationships and they're now becoming more socially isolated, I'd yeah. be concerned about that. Uh, I'd be concerned about periods of low mood yeah. um, and actually how I'd want to explore further how that was impacting upon them. Mm-hmm. Um, suicidal thoughts, yes, yes. Um, self-harming behaviour. Yeah. Uh, so those in terms of or risky behaviour, whether it's things like addictions or 
uh, risky sexual behaviour um, or, you know, opening themselves up to being in situations where they might be in fights. Um, so risk of physical harm either to other people or from mm-hmm. other people. And things like shifts in eating patterns and yeah. sleeping patterns. Yeah, that would definitely be something that I'd be thinking yeah. about. I'd be asking questions. So we're talking about sort of people shifting in some way from their normal yeah into something else yeah and people noticing it yeah. yeah so their social functioning or also if they don't have anyone around them who yeah. they really connect with yeah. and i guess you know and I'm, I'm there's there's another thing i i often look for which is people losing the sense of joy about something the yeah ability to feel anademic i can never say that word anademic anademia i can never i can sort of i'll google it in a minute yeah uh, loss of joy G- do you google loss of joy the word for me i don't know Luke, the it, it, there is a word and okay. i can never remember it um and it's 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 um it's almost like anemia yeah it's sort of the word um, okay anhedonia 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 that's okay. it i can never actually say yeah, it i've learned something to feel new pleasure. Today. The inability to feel better, anhedonia, there you go. But I think we also have to normalise people's process. Right. So sometimes we think that uh, life is linear, um, but really on a day-to-day basis, our moods um, fluctuate. Yeah. Um, so it's really about kind of the period of time as well and yeah. the impact. So, you know, I might feel really joyous today and then tomorrow I might not feel so great. So let's let's play with some period of time things, because I, I yeah. guess, you know, if something happens which is unpleasant. Yeah. What I would expect somebody to have um, a difficult reaction to it. Yes. Yeah, so a normal reaction to a crisis or yeah. a big change yeah. or a transition, uh, even things like a bereavement or, yeah. you know, moving to a new country. Yeah. Um, any any major life changes or shifts, um, you know, you'd expect low mood or anxiety, or some reaction, some emotional change, some shift. Yeah, uh-huh. and even if it's a really positive change, you can still experience anxiety yeah, yes. uh, because you are stepping out of everything that you know, everything that's familiar. Um, so yeah, but it's it's about the proportion of whether it's a normal reaction to something having changed. And how would you measure normal and also? In terms of time-wise, what sort of time scale would you work with? Well, in terms of low mood, we're looking at at least two weeks. That's how doctors would define it. If we're thinking about depression and anxiety, we're looking at probably months. Um, But, you know, I would be concerned if it's a significant period of time, so at least a few weeks. So what I would say to people is if you've noticed a shift for at least a couple of weeks, do try and speak to your GP or speak to a therapist so you could or just Or if you're noticing that. something you're concerned about. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and there's lots of great helpline numbers out there as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, the mix is a really great one for under 25-year-olds. Okay. Um, Do you want yeah. to get the, pull that up for us and we'll yeah. give out some details on the mix? So the good thing about that is there's an online platform as well. Okay. There's a helpline number. There's a crisis text line. Okay. Um, so, you know, I would say seek some advice. Yeah. Have you got a yes, number there for the mix? Number here. Yeah, give uh, us a number for the mix. So 0808-808-4994. Try so that again, go on. I'll repeat that again. 0808-808-4994. That's so the mix. We'll yeah, put that on the links when yeah. we um, send the show out as a podcast. Yeah. So that's for young people, yeah? That's for under 25, yeah. Great, great. Um, but yeah, there's lots of resources out there, lots yeah. of helpline numbers out there, but yeah. your GP can be your first port of yeah. call as well. So get GP. So if you're worried about somebody, yeah. um, start worrying after about two weeks. Yeah, but also check in with them. Yeah. So, you know, um, ask them how they're doing. Yeah. You, it's very rare that you can make things worse by asking people how they yes, are. Right. And I think that's, that's a really good point. Yeah, sometimes, you know, we get really <laughs> anxious about asking yeah, yeah, people. Yeah. Um, particularly around uh, 
to tricky subjects like suicidal thoughts and yeah. suicidal behaviour. We we're sort of there's this fantasy, isn't it? That you go and talk to somebody about it, and it's guaranteed to make them yeah. push them over the edge, and they're just going to jump off a cliff immediately. Yeah. Soon. But the opposite is true. Yeah. Sometimes it's a relief that someone's noticed that yes. something has shifted. Because yeah. I suppose if you're so caught up in your thoughts and your emotions, yeah. um, it can be hard to have that space to reflect on that change. Mm. Uh, so someone, even just someone coming up to you and saying, "Are you okay?" Yeah. Or I've noticed a shift in you. Uh, you don't have to have all the answers. It's about being alongside someone. So even mm. if you don't know the answers, you can work with them to try and yeah. find a suitable resource yes, to do yes, that. Yes. So you don't have to be the expert. Mm, definitely not. Yeah. Definitely not. And and actually, you know, I'd go a bit further now. Don't try and be the expert. Yeah. Because you 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 know, unless you've done the training, and yeah, you've got the qualifications. Um, you're probably going to mess yourself up in trying to help. Yeah. And. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, we come with our own assumptions of yeah. how people should be, what they should be doing. Perhaps that's not what they need to hear at that time. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps they need a, a more neutral space to really yeah. be able to express themselves. And also, because this is something I'm quite passionate about, because yeah. there's a lot of very quick wins that can be done with modern therapy techniques. Yeah. It does not need to take a long time. No. Um, and so, you know, even things like anxiety reduction techniques, yeah. grounding techniques challenging you know you can make very quick changes in a few sessions yes, yes. but there's loads of good apps out as well if you don't want to see a therapist yeah. or you can't afford to or you're on a waiting list um, so the catcher app's really good mm. um, that allows you to journal so you can have an idea of actually what is going mm. on in terms of my moods and yeah. my feelings yeah. and my thoughts yeah. um, especially if you don't want to write a written journal it's a good way to mm. kind of document what's going on for you um, and then things like calm um, and also headspace yeah. um, so there's lots of other apps out there if you yeah didn't want to speak to someone or didn't have to. And also in terms of common mental health problems, yeah. in the UK, we've got access to IAPT as well. Definitely. And IAPT is free, frontline. Um, IAPT is, oh, sorry, it's a really, really horrible bureaucratic terms. Increased access to psychological therapists. Yeah. It's a primary care service, so yeah. you don't need to refer it in by your GP. You self-refer. That's what primary care means. Yeah. You refer yourself in. Definitely. So you'd have a phone call first, and yeah. then they'd figure out the best route for and you. And if you want to know where your IAPT service is, the easiest way to do it is, say if you live in Camden, yeah. if you put into your search bar, IAPT Camden, and it'll, it usually directs you to something called like the Camden Wellbeing Services or yeah. whatever yeah, the, your local the, authority. The NHS on their website, they have a find IAPT services near you in the location bar. Great. And, things like Great. That. Fantastic. and there's also an IAPT service for young people as well yeah so if you're worried about a young person that yeah. you you know then that's an alternative yeah. for them and too. This, this is a free service it's a yeah. tiered service it's a stepped care service so um the, the first step will be straightforward cbt mm -hmm. uh, mbcbt uh, mindfulness-based cbt yeah. groups and it's fantastic but they actually can then go right up in terms of you know if you've got much more a complex problem yeah they can offer you the next step and the next step up yeah and actually you can go up to something like 30 weeks of therapy with them that's pretty good yeah very which, good i mean that's two years yeah no, really there's two good. years worth of therapy free yeah and, and that would involve things like cognitive analytic therapy yeah. some uh, uh emdr and da, 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 yeah. da, all sorts of really really amazing as well as couples therapy yeah in some areas and group therapy in other areas I yeah mean, it's amazing service so. and that's really important when we think about the systems around us yeah. so um even if just accessing the service helps you to start that communication with people that are close to you yeah. um, or help you to think about what supports out there if you don't want to talk to anyone that yeah. you know. So tell me sort of about what you're working on currently at the moment. Yeah. The sort of things that you're working on. Yeah, so in terms of my private
private practice. Yeah. Um, I, I see sort of 14 plus. Yeah. Um, and it's mainly things like depression, anxiety, identity related issues, yeah. um, and then trauma. So I do offer EMDR as well, which yeah. is kind of a reprocessing of, of Tell your us memories. About EMDR because um, yeah. wiggling fingers in front of people, how does that work? Yep. So it's. Right. Who, does, who knows? Come on, hands up who knows what EMDR stands for? No hands up. No. Right. That's Sorry. okay. Silence is the radio equivalent <laughs> of no hands up. Hands up. <laughs> There's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which okay. sounds very complex. Yeah. But basically, when we experience some type of trauma, um, what happens is our brain doesn't process the memory properly. So in essence, it doesn't file it away. We can't forget it. We can't forget yeah. it. Um, and so the most important bit of memory is to forget things. Yeah. Um, so that's where you might get things like flashbacks or memories, um, or you may have heightened sense of anxiety and certain situations so emdr is a way of reprocessing that memory do we so know how it works yet um, we didn't know for ages did we we uh, just knew it yeah. did work but we weren't quite it's sure. bilateral stimulation so oh, it gets okay. both parts of your brain talking to each other uh, so you know we were talking about the primitive brain sort of hijacking the yeah. logical brain yeah. it, it helps to fuel the connection between the two so you can so do it some stops the corpus thinking. working yeah so it, it oh, kind okay, of connects them yeah right. um, so what it does is it kind of reduces things like high hypervigilance and you can reprocess the memory so it can be stored yeah. away um, and, and again it's pretty quick isn't it With yeah it is and it isn't depends I, on if it's complex trauma yeah. or not, you know. complex um, trauma from childhood maybe not so quick but. yeah but I think also the key thing with EMDR which I've really noticed because I was quite sceptical before I trained I wasn't quite sure how it worked and yeah. I've had some experience now with it but the key thing is about building a, a good relationship yes, first exactly. um, so you know being able to ground yourself being able to work with that individual so they feel safe and then it's relatively so quick so before you do the actual memory track work yeah you you give people a lot of coping skills, don't you? In Definitely. Terms of develop a safe space. Definitely. Look at your own personal grounding techniques, yep. your self-care techniques, yep. all of that. Your sort support of network. So you're doing all the basics of yep. good psychological therapy. Definitely. So even if you never get into the reprocessing, yeah. it's still really valuable. But I've seen actually, I've seen the impact on this um, technique in uh, uh, sort of so many times. The sort of staff who work for me, um, my, yeah. my therapist, use it and. It's transforming people's lives. Definitely. Um, And I don't really know how it works. I can't really explain why. But um, I've worked with individuals where even physical symptoms have gone. So our bodies are very powerful. Mm. Uh, You know, we can't be stressed and relaxed at the same time, but our body also holds our emotions. So, yeah. uh, yeah, We've got the sympathetic and parasympathetic system, which, of course, is exactly that's what that that is doing. Yeah, definitely. So it's either excited or relaxing. But it's also, I think, that there is literally storage of memory around the body system because yeah. um, our, our brain isn't just a thing inside our head no it's also in our gut it's in our central nervous system our body remembers all of that oh, fantastic book yeah I saw Bessel van der Koe do some training I was uh, the most ah. amazing experience I've ever seen but yeah. there you go it's really really <laughs> incredible work um, so um, so you do that you're working with young people and adults and adults families yeah. as well um, not are you doing systems moment. work I'm not doing systems work but I have had um, times where I've had family members come into the room right. but I work more individually and then we'll think about why they might need to come into mm-hmm. the room and what that would be like and that's mainly to share things like the best way to support that person so that's a trauma but tell us about the identity self which I think I know is very keen to you yeah and how that influences the sort of psychological therapies that you're doing yeah so you know I'm quite reflective in my practice yeah. Uh, which means that I will go with the process of what's been brought into the room. Mm. So I do combine a range of approaches. So there's usually things like um, gender, sexuality. So it's intersectional. Yeah. 
and uh, you know race uh, so there's lots they've of just things. gone blank over there boys what does intersectional approach mean again that's the yeah, no, radio sorry. equivalent of I'm sitting on my hands yeah. why are you asking me this question that's ridiculous <laughs> so I don't even know how to spell that <laughs> let's let's see what does intersection so we're looking at the various influences of on that person yeah, yeah. yeah and basically. how they intersect yeah how they like the, different, the, the yeah. different sort of experiences yeah. of it so I, I guess i'm getting a sense from you that um, you will help with a client unpick all the various influences on their life yeah and uh, do a sort of more complex version of what i'm just about to say which is before you diagnose yourself with depression yeah just check if you're surrounded by arseholes or not yeah definitely toxic people yeah, yeah. It's the truth. Because if, if the, the situa living situation that you're in, yeah. the relational environment you're in is shit, yeah. you're going to feel bad. Yeah, that's very true. You know? And so don't diagnose yourself with an illness because you're having an absolutely understandable response to an yeah. awful set of circumstances. Yeah. Change your circumstances or get out of them. That's why I would encourage people to kind of get to know what their triggers are. Yeah. So the things that sort of turn up the volume on how you feel. So whether it's you feel low in mood or you feel anxious. Yeah. So something like having a journal or using an app like Catch It can help yeah. you to do that. It can help you to notice trends in your feelings and your yeah. behaviours yeah. and your thought patterns. Because sometimes we're, we're not really aware of why we might feel a sense way and then you might start Will you to do notice. me a favor because we're, yeah. we're sort of getting some great resources from yeah. you i might if it's okay with you yeah. after the show we'll email you something and yeah that's fine get a list of resources yeah, from you definitely. that you think are good yeah definitely. because i think that it's really important that people get these um um, um these um, support these resources from professionals who are using them yeah and know which ones work the reliable resources yeah you know rather than sort of googling your symptoms yeah. and self-diagnosing that would be really really yeah helpful. no it's that, completely and then fine we can just put it as we sort of um, yeah uh, as we send it out definitely uh, we're going to be coming to that point where we're going to need the top three tips from you soon I okay think. um and is that why you're passing a piece of paper over there about james all right so i it's not a love note. No, he's showing me the telling me the football scores. I think. Oh, he's telling you the football <laughs> scores. Right. Who's who's winning? By the way, <laughs> no, it wasn't actually. Do we know? Scores. <laughs> um, so we're going to come to um, the top three tips. And yeah. I think what I'd like is top three tips from you on surviving this insane world. Surviving this insane world. Okay. Okay. How so. to maintain your sanity and balance? Yeah. In an essentially insane world. Yeah. So, so have a think about that. We'll come okay. to your top three tips. Um, All right. We're going to carry on talking. Um, so um, you're a great advert, I think, for modern psychological therapy. Mm -hmm. I, I think when people think of psychological therapy, they think they still and you work at the Anna Freud Center, so you know what they think of. Yeah. They think of what her dad did. Yeah. Yeah. Laying and, on the couch yeah. and, and unraveling your psyche, yeah. And un -da -da -da. but you're yeah. talking almost like the opposite, yeah. Which is okay. There's a bit of unpicking that we need to do because yeah. of what's happened to you, which is classic Freudian stuff, yeah. You know, in that sense, or classic analytic stuff, if you yeah. Like. A psychodynamic work, thinking in a relational way. Yeah, look, yeah. At, look at your life experiences, but then you're doing far more than that, which is then that you're looking at the positive skills, yeah, and what we've learned from research. Yeah, definitely. So works. we need to empower ourselves to be able to move forward. Yeah. And I think it's really natural that we fall back into the patterns that feel familiar to us. Yeah. So making a change is more of a process. Yeah. You know, I don't come in as an expert. I bring in expertise and I'll hold the space oh, and contain yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. Hmm. And uh, then the next step, I think, which is I think is crucial and is important yeah. to me, is that uh, when we are empowered as individuals, yeah. we can then move out into the world and do something about it. Definitely. Because I guess, I'm guessing this, 
that somebody who comes into your practice and has experienced um, sexism and racism and yeah. homophobia, they come out of the work with you, yeah. having healed from that, and more able to not only look after themselves and cope with that, yeah. but also to challenge it and say, you know what? This isn't right. Definitely. And I don't want this anymore. Definitely. A part of that is unpicking, I suppose, what we've already learned. Yeah. So it's unpicking the shoulds and the musts and the internalised expectations. Absolutely. Um, and really getting people to a point where they're listening to what they need. Yeah. Uh, listening to what who they are, really, yeah. in essence. And, and, and our current times, I think that work is crucial. Yeah. Actually, because the, the voices from the powerful at the moment are unpleasant voices. Yeah. And I'm not talking politics in the sense of... Um, policies. Yeah. I'm talking about uh, the anti-human statements that are coming out from people mm. who damn well should know better, mm. right? Mm. Yeah. And somebody asked me to write an article about um, leadership culture and how that influences um, followership culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm going to be writing about it because when the leader make, makes anti-human, racist, divisive statements that mm. gives permission for that to happen yeah. in the followership. Yeah. And it has direct impacts on people's lives. Yeah. And people get killed because of it. And it's and about it's empowerment. Wrong. Yeah. And actually if you think about kind of the dynamic of perhaps children who've experienced domestic abuse, yeah. do you side with the perpetrator um to feel safe yeah. or do you not? Exactly. So you're vulnerable exactly. either way. Yeah. Yeah. So we need your top three tips. Top How three to tips. survive. How to maintain your serenity in this insane world. Ah, okay. So I'd say number one would be get to know your triggers. Get to know your triggers. Yeah. Um, so so think about what it is that turns the volume up on the insanity. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Your um, own personal insanity. Your own personal insanity. Because <laughs> right. uh, once and you turn that volume down. Yeah. Because knowledge is power. Yeah, 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 I cool, think once cool. you know, it's like a light bulb. I think when you turn on self awareness, you can't switch it yeah. off. And sometimes that's not nice, but yeah, other yeah, times yeah. it's it's yeah, empowering. Yeah, yeah. Um, secondly, I'd say try and be present in this moment. Um, so there yes. can be really simple things Absolutely, that you can 100%. do. Uh, so we've heard a lot about mindfulness and, and things like that, but it's just being present in this yeah. current moment because yeah. our thoughts can run mindfulness away with us. Mindfulness is only one technique, about yeah. loads of techniques yeah. about getting here and now. Definitely. It can be something simple just as like noticing a colour in the room and uh, you know being really focused on where you are, feeling your feet on the floor. Okay. So find Need a way to three. become more present. Need number three, number three, number three, what should I say? Um, yeah, think about your support networks. So Perfect. who's around you? Think about the five people that you have the most contact with all of the time. Yeah. And actually, do they turn the volume up on your triggers or turn it down? So know your triggers, get in the moment, get a support network. Yeah, a positive we support are, network. We are on the way out. Thank yeah. you. Thank Whee! you very much. Woo! What an awesome show. Mm-hmm. Join us much. next week. Fantastic. Everybody who's joined us out there in Facebook land. And uh, see you again next week. Wonderful to have you. Thanks so much. Almost... Almost solo. Almost Luke solo. solo. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. How do I come up with this stuff? You should be a comedian. Know. Yeah. What are you know. doing here? See you next week. Bye bye, folks. Hi, I'm Noel McDermott. Welcome to Wellbeing Wednesdays on Men's Radio Station. <laughs>